Hi, welcome back. We are in a study in Ruth. We're calling the series Redeemed. This is session four, and we're calling this session The Plan and the Past. We'll be in chapter three today, and this really is the climax of the story. Uh, it's been leading up to this. We've gotten a lot of backstory. We've gotten a lot of uh, character development, and this night that we're going to look at becomes the central moment of the book. So grab those study guides. This is going to help you see where we're going. All right, Ruth 3. Just a reminder again, this is a story of Yibam. I hope by now, if you're this far, that you've grasped that concept and you're ready to sort of see that here. Ruth is looking for her kinsman redeemer who would be the one to marry her, would be the one from within the family that would restore her and keep the family line, the family name, from not being blotted out of Israel. They've been in Bethlehem for some time now, and uh, all the eligible kingsmen uh, redeemers are not looking Ruth's way at this point. They're not interested in the Moabite. And so Naomi is tired of waiting, and so she's going to take matters into her own hands. Here's her plan. She says this, Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and, or importantly, drinking. And when he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. So Naomi says, I want you to get dressed nicely. I want you to go and to anoint yourself with oils and to wash yourself. And then go down in the middle of the night and don't tell anyone you're there after he's been drinking. Not necessarily the advice a father would give to his daughter. Certainly not something I would want my daughter to be doing. And then Naomi says specifically, she says, I want you to uncover his feet and lie down. Now, the phrase cover your feet was actually a saying back in those days that meant go to the bathroom. You'd say, hey, I had a lot of coffee. I got to go cover my feet. We see this in places like in Judges 3, when the king of Moab is in his chambers, and it says, the servants came and found the doors of the upper room locked, and they said he must be relieving himself in the inner room of the palace, and they waited to the point of embarrassment. In the NIV, it says relieving himself, but literally the Hebrew is covered his feet. He didn't want his feet, in quotes, to be seen, so he went into a private place in order to not be exposed. So, by logic, if covering one's feet was to avoid exposure, uncovering one's feet would be to... Yeah, that's what's going on here. And of course, the phrase lie down frequently meant more than just sleeping. Most of the time in the Old Testament, when two people lie down together, a kid was born nine months later. So, um, to uncover his feet and to lie down. It doesn't take uh, a rocket scientist to know what's happening here. Now, why would Naomi do this? Some have suggested that it was simply like a custom of the day, and some have suggested that these things were symbolic of Ruth's humility, and some have even, I've heard, praise Ruth for being proactive and encourage others to be like her. Again, I'd ask the fathers listening, is this something you'd want your daughter to emulate. Of course not. That's not what's going on here. This is nothing short of a scandalous, deceptive plan. Naomi is taking matters into her own hands. 
What would put this idea in Naomi's head? Well, what we find is that Naomi's plan is actually connected to Ruth's past. At this point, if you've been following along in this study, you're not going to be surprised that this story likens back, of course, to another story at the beginning of the Bible. We keep going backwards to understand more context into the story. It's a story that has a seductive scheming to bring about family redemption, just like this one. It's a story that foreshadows this one. It has the fingerprints of Ruth all over it. Do you know what the story is? It's the story of Lot and his daughters in Genesis 19. Now, Lot and his daughters come at the tail end of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. God sees that these cities are very evil and decides to destroy them. And Lot is in Sodom at the time and manages to escape with his daughters into the mountains. There, though, the daughters of Lot determine that their family line was in jeopardy. And it was up to them to perpetuate their name. An act of Yibam needed to happen. And they had determined that no one was going to do it. So they needed to take matters into their own hands. Let's pick up the story here in Genesis 19. It says, One day the older daughter said to the younger, Our father is old and there is no man around here to give us children, as is the custom all over the earth. Let's get our father to drink wine and lie with him. There's that lie again. Lie with him and preserve our family line through our father. If you understand Yibam, this is this should uh, be flashing in your head. This is a Yibam story. That night they got their father to drink wine and the older daughter went in and laid with him. He was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. A little later, the older daughter then had a son and she named him, get this, Moab. He is the father of the Moabites of today. Hmm. See, you have a family in jeopardy. There are no heirs, no way to carry on the family name. And you have two women, two family members really two widows of sorts who recognize their need to preserve the family line. And you have a seductive plan involving drinking and laying down. And from this story, of course, you have the birth of a nation, Ruth's nation, the nation of Moab. You see, Naomi's plan is not in a vacuum. She doesn't come up with this off the top of her head. She knows Ruth's story. She knows her daughter-in-law's family history. She knows the legacy of her ancestors. This type of behavior was the reputation of the Moabites. In fact, a little later on in Numbers 25, we get another story of Moabite women who are seducing men in Israel with promiscuity. This is what Moabites do. This is where they came from. They'll, they'll never change. Naomi says this, we have a problem and we're going to solve it. Boaz is going to be your kingsman redeemer, and if he won't act, heck, there are ways we can move things along unilaterally. We're going to take a page out of your family playbook, Ruth. Wash yourself. Anoint yourself with oil. Put on a dress. Go to him at night. Don't tell anyone you're there until he finishes eating and drinking. And after he's in good spirits, uncover his feet, lie down, and he'll take it from there. You see, Ruth has a reputation. Ruth has baggage. The plan is connected to her past. And I want you to take a minute now to explore and uncover this a little bit more. You'll look back on some of these stories and just unpack the reputation the Moabites had and why then Naomi 
would have such a plan for Ruth. It makes total sense when you understand her reputation. So take a few minutes, uh, discuss this if you're in a group setting or just individually, uh, take a look at that together and then come on back. All right, you've looked at Ruth and her backstory, her history, her baggage, her reputation. But there are two people in this scene, not just one. And what we're going to discover is that he has his own family history, Boaz. Now, he isn't a Moabite. He is one of the children of Israel. He's on God's side. He has the right family pedigree. But even the best families have their moments, don't you agree? And, uh, and Israel's no exception. When, when you think about your own family's dirty laundry, I, I find a lot of time you don't talk much about it. Like if there was ever a fight or a big blow up or just this really awkward season or moment. Oftentimes you don't talk about it often, but when you do, you don't say much about it. You, you often can even boil it down to just a few words. Uh, for my extended family, we don't talk about it much, but there is a certain getaway, which we have deemed the Adirondack vacation. And whenever we say the Adirondack vacation, we all, we all remember that. And if my family, my extended family, only need to say the words the Adirondack vacation, uh, Israel's family, Israel's family, one of their uh, dirty little secrets. One of the things that they would say is, uh, remember the goats and coats. Yeah, it's just fun to say. Goats and coats. You see, there's a string of deception stories leading up to this point in Israel's history involving goats and different articles of clothing, tunics, coverings, or coats. And we read the first story is the story of Jacob. And we find this story in Genesis 27. Here's different, uh, little different parts of it. It says this, Now my son, this is Rebecca, the wife speaking, Now my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats. And then Rebecca took the best coat of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son Jacob. And he went in to his father and said, My father, Yes, my son, he answered. Who are you? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. So in this first deceptive story, Rebekah favors her son Jacob, and her desire is for Jacob to receive the blessing of the firstborn over his older brother Esau. And so Jacob slaughters a goat and brings it to his father Isaac with arms covered by goat hair in his brother's coat. And Isaac asks him, who are you? And Jacob deceives him with goats and coats. And then one generation later, we read the story of Joseph. And it says this, this is Genesis 37, different parts of 37. Now Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. I wonder where he learned that. He learned it from his mother, who favored him. Because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornament coat for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe or his coat, the coat he was wearing, and they took him and threw him in a cistern. 
Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe or the coat in the blood. And so in the second deceptive story, Jacob favors his son Joseph, and the other sons resent him for it. And so they throw him in a pit and steal this beautiful coat. They slaughter a goat and put the blood on the coat in order to give proof that he had died. So Jacob deceives his father with goats and coats, and then his sons deceive him with goats and coats. And then one generation later, in Genesis 38, we read the story of Tamar. Now Tamar, it says in Genesis 38, Tamar took off her widow's coat, covered herself in a veil, and disguised herself. And when Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute. For she had covered her face, not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law. He went over to her by the roadside and said, Come, let me sleep with you. And what will you give me to sleep with you? She asked, I'll send you a young goat from my flock. So in this third deceptive story, Judah, one of the brothers of Joseph, marries and has three sons. And this firstborn son, Ur, marries this woman named Tamar. So Tamar is Judah's daughter-in-law. You You following along? So now Ur is not a great guy, so he ends up dying, and he leaves Tamar, this daughter-in-law, in need of Yibam. She needs a kingsman redeemer. Sound familiar? And of course, the natural responsibility would fall on one of the remaining brothers, but for different reasons, they do not do it. And so Tamar is in need. She's, she's in need of Yibam, and so she takes matters into her own hands. She brings a seductive plan into practice. She dresses up like a harlot. She takes off her coat of mourning and dresses up as someone that can't be recognized and waits for Judah to come along. And then they bargain for her services. And one of the price, among other things, you guess it, is a goat and a coat. And when they lie together, she becomes pregnant and she gets her redemption, but through deceptive means. So if you're following along with this, Jacob deceives his father involving goats and coats. And then Judah and his other brothers deceive Jacob, involving goats and coats. And then Tamar deceives Judah, one generation later, you guessed it, involving goats and coats. It's a generational string of deception. Now guess what? Remember, just remember a few minutes ago when we looked at the story of Lot and his daughters, and we found that in that story was the birth of Ruth's ancestry, the birth of Moab. Well, who was born in the union of Judah and Tamar? When Tamar finally gets her redemption, she finally gets the son that she'd been waiting for. for. The child's name is Peretz. And seven generations after Peretz, his descendants, comes one, none other than Boaz. It's a series of family deception. And here in Ruth chapter 3, we get number 4. Should I say the potential for number four. And if it's the potential of number four, the question is, all right, well, where's the goats and coats, right? If this is going to be the next deception story for Boaz, if this is his family baggage and reputation and history, if this is what he's following, where's the, if you're the reader, you know the connections, you know the story. And so you would ask, where's the goats and where's the coats? Well, wouldn't you know, what's Boaz's name mean? His name means a goat is in him. Now that gets smoothed out to mean strength. A strength is in him. But literally the noun that makes up his 
name literally means a goat, and goats are known to be strong-headed, strong-willed, and so this understanding of this word began to morph to mean strength or strong-headed, and so Boaz means, his name means strength is in him, but literally in the Hebrew it means a goat is in him. He's got the goat in him. He's the next goat man. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your coat over me, your garment. Boaz, the goat man, is asked to spread out his coat. There it is. And right here in verse 9 becomes the moment of truth for these two. Both have pasts. Both have histories. Both have those dirty little secrets that nobody wants to talk about. The stage is set for another deceptive story. Will Ruth live into the family history? Will she take matters into her own hands? Will she seduce the Kingsman Redeemer? Boaz is the next goat man. He comes from a line of family splits and deception and hostility and anti-redemption. Will he live into his family legacy or will he pave a new way and a new path? Will he break the goats and coats bondage of his family? But before we answer, before we see what happens, let's take, let's take a break. Let's look back on Boaz's story. Let's see those connections between the goats and coats and then we'll come back for the conclusion. All right, let's bring this on home. What we find is both of these two do not live into their family history. Ruth does not answer ambiguously or deceptively. She answers with truth. I'm not someone important. I'm a servant, but I'm your servant. I am Ruth, which echoes the question of Isaac. When Isaac asks Jacob, who are you? Jacob deceives him and says, I am Esau. But when Boaz asks Ruth, who are you? She tells the truth. She says, I am Ruth. And Boaz doesn't have to follow in the footsteps of his forefathers. He doesn't have to be the next goat man. He doesn't have to use deception to bring about redemption. What we'll find is that he will redeem Ruth and do it with as much integrity as possible. In fact, all of chapter four is really this description of just how above board Boaz goes in order to redeem Ruth in the right way. Because up until this point, the plan had been connected to their past, but they no longer have to live with the ghosts of them. They no longer have to be placed in a box. They no longer have to be defined by their family history. Ruth declares back in chapter 1 that your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Because when you declare loyalty to God, you are no longer a Moabite. You're no longer the goat man. You have a new people, a new family, a new nation. The old is gone. The new is here. Friends, where are your plans connected to your past? Secrets, tendencies, reputation. Because we all have those people who remember who we used to be or that group who knows where we came from, or just the old self inside us that rears its ugly head and asks us again, who are you? Because that's the question, who are you? Are you the person that you used to be or can you be someone new? Are you that person that's anxious all the time? Are you that person with no self-control? 
Are you that person who still hides those things in the dark or the one with the destructive tongue? Are you that person who doubts? You are, aren't you? Your old self will say. You're the Moabite. You're, you're, you're the goat man. This is just what you do. This is where you come from. You'll, you'll never change. But when you declare the loyalty of God, you're no longer a Moabite or a goat. You no longer have to live with the ghosts of your past. You no longer have to be placed in a box. And you no longer have to be defined by your family history. Because you have been brought into a new one. Because that's what the cross is all about. When Jesus hangs on a cross and is resurrected, he breaks the power of sin and death. And brought you into his people, his family, and his nation. And maybe in your family, you are the first person to follow Jesus. You are the first generation that's going to change the narrative of your family. For my family, it was my father. The long families come from a long line of Moabites and goats. Until one night in high school, when Jesus became real to my father. And he began to change the course of the Long family's name and reputation. And now three generations later, I have three children that I pray will continue a positive legacy for a family. Those who follow Jesus. Friends, you are not bound by your family history. You're not bound by the ghosts of your past. You're not bound by the sins that still haunt you. You are not a Moabite. You are not a goat. You have been redeemed. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them.